You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Welcome back to this week's episode. And if you're new here, welcome. So happy to have you. I've invited Dr. Becky Kennedy to join us for this week's episode. Dr. Becky is a registered psychologist. She has a private practice in New York, but I have come to know her through her Dr. Becky at home Instagram, where she talks through in such an insightful and practical way how to deal with our child's behaviors, or maybe even more importantly, how we regulate ourselves when dealing with our child's behavior. Now, I've been asked often what our past has anything to do with our parenting in the present moment. And there is this kind of coin phrase or like buzzword term going around these days called reparenting. And Dr. Pecky and I unpack reparenting or this idea that our childhood comes up in the present moment for us when we are parenting our children. Why that is practically, what does that mean for us? And how do we help to regulate ourselves in these very dysregulated moments when we've got all of these things that come up for us? Much of this episode, a lot of this episode focuses on co-regulation and co-dysregulation, how we as moms, as parents, regulate ourselves and help to regulate our children. Such an important episode. I learned so much from speaking with Dr. Becky, and I can't wait to dive in for you guys to hear our conversation. Before we do that, let's hear the review of the week. This review comes from Sarah Donald, and it is titled Truth. So happy to have found a podcast that speaks to so many realities of motherhood. It isn't always easy, and this podcast explores those not-so-glamorous hard parts and makes you feel less alone. Thank you so much, Sarah, for taking the time to leave this review. As always, I love to hear your feedback. I love when you guys leave reviews. That's what shapes the podcast and helps me to know which episodes you want more of and what's working for you. So thank you so much. Let's hear my conversation with Dr. Becky. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Becky, thank you so, so much for joining us here today. I know that you are momming and you are Instagramming and uh, doing all the things. So you are a clinical psychologist, currently home with kiddos, or what role are you in right now? Absolutely. I have three kids myself, um, eight, five, and three. And yes, I am home with them. And I'm working, I'm mothering, I'm trying to do a million different things. And I feel like I have this part of me that does the Instagram and is a clinical psychologist. And I have 
another part of me that's totally in the trenches as a mom of young kids, like everyone listening. I love that so much. I love to meet professionals who are in this space, who have all the kids and can relate to all of the things. So when I see yeah. your your videos and your content about dealing with behaviors and triggers and some of those things we're going to get to today, there's this whole other level of knowing that you can truly relate and you've been in it, right? Absolutely. And my kids um, are, all three of them are so different from each other. I kind of thought when I had my third that like somehow, I don't know, that qualities would be taken up by one or the other. I didn't realize like how many permutations there are. And they're all totally, they're as equally different from each other. Um, And they taught me a lot. I think that I was a very different psychologist and kind of definitely worked with parents differently before I had each of my other kids because you can do the same thing. I've watched myself and I was like, oh, whoa, my first kid makes me feel like a great mom. And my second kid has some, <laughs> you know, has some choice words to say back to me. I thought I, I thought I just said that really nicely. And so it's really opened my eyes to when parents say, no, 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 really, I've done that. Where I think maybe in the past, I've been like, I don't know if you did it right. Now I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. We have a different, great. I believe you, you know, and we're going to totally. like, figure something else out. So Definitely. I think having kids for me feels like a really important part of the work I do with parents. And I think just like you said, each child that we have has a different temperament and a different personality. And therefore, the attachment and connection it pulls out of us as mothers is very different. Um, and yeah. or maybe how the behavior or approach gets under our skin per like each different child, completely different. A hundred percent. I think that's exactly right. I always feel like parenting is really just a journey of self-discovery and then we have our kids on the side. So our kids definitely are, my three kids are teaching me a lot about myself for sure along the way. Yeah. Yeah. So one more question before we kind of dive into our content today about how you got into this work. Were you always in like the parenting type of field or has it kind of progressed over time? I guess I've just always found people to be so fascinating. I just find people really interesting. I find myself endlessly curious about why people do the things they do. And even when people, I remember being a teenager and early in college before I knew what I wanted to do, just so interested in people's kind of quote, bad behaviors, like kind of from the assumption of there's some reason, like no, we're, we're animals. Nobody's trying to work against themselves. And I just found that so interesting. And then that kind of morphed into families being interesting and all that kind of propelled me to go get my PhD in clinical psychology And from there, I trained in adult and child. So I worked with young kids themselves and I worked with adults. And interestingly enough, I realized when I started my private practice, I don't want to work with the young kids, but I'm fascinated by young kids. And I want to do a lot of work with parents of young kids. And my work now maybe includes a home visit here or there, but not during during coronavirus, but, um, but mostly it's with parents of young kids. And I really, it's funny, even though, you know, everyone is surprised by this after they check on my Instagram, my private practice is full of some parenting clients and honestly, just mostly individual adult therapy clients. And I learned the most from adults in terms of what I think kids need by saying like, oh, like we kind of know what you needed from your own parents way back when they were doing the best they could, but they, they missed some things. And oh my goodness, there's themes to what people needed and never got. We can help this next generation of parents wire their kids early instead of rewiring is still totally possible. It's why I'm in the field, but it's definitely harder than just being wired that way. And so I feel like there's this really nice system where I work with adults, but then I take everything I learn and use and like kind of help parents do that stuff 
with their kids. And I, I, that's, it just continues to be endlessly fascinating. So I think continuing the work now, I find kids and systems really interesting. And the fact that I have a job where I'm allowed to kind of study and learn more about the things I'm curious about is kind of, I mean, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, I absolutely love it. And I come from a like a behavioral background initially when I started out. I started in a, like a children's developmental psychology practice, mm-hmm. working um, kind of like CBT for anxiety and depression and, and like ADHD with the kids. And it was so interesting for me because the more I, I worked with kids of varying ages, five, six, seven, up through to like nine, 10, whatever, the more that I realized it was like a system like challenge or often even like a parent's reaction. Like it's, it's a, it's a system. It's not just the one child within the family. Right. Um, so the model at the time really kind of challenged me and, and I work now a lot more with moms and have found my way into just working with moms because so much of regulation on our part and our child's part has to do with the system, not just the individual. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that leads us into our topic for today. And like triggers have been a really big topic on my um, Instagram feed lately. And uh, we talk about triggers in the sense of like postpartum rage and irritability and postpartum depression, talk about triggers in terms of different behaviors that we can't tolerate. But one of the things that I say very openly on my podcast and on Instagram is that one of the things I was not prepared for in becoming a mom, even as a therapist, you know, was that like 95 or 99.9% of the time I would be trying to regulate myself. Right. Like, I don't know. Parenthood is sort of pictured as this journey where you kind of discipline and aim to control and raise these like a good little human beings almost. And then you get in it and you're like, oh no, that's not the work. Right. The work is with me. Can we talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. And I think you're right. We need to publicize that more because like even with young kids, we need to tell them in advance something like, hey, I know you're, you know, you're expecting to go X, Y, Z today. Here's when we're going to do it. Like we need to have expectations. I think going into parenting. Yeah. The number one advice I think for parents is like a little bit, forget the baby for now. You'll hear that from lots of people, but just, yeah, get ready. It's going to feel really hard for you. And that's so normal because once you're able to say in your head, oh, it's supposed to feel this way. So many people told me it would feel this way. That's such the first step of regulating anyway. Right, right. right. I mean, and what really happens with our kids, right? I think about this word a lot. I talk about it in my feed a lot, this word circuits. I think about, you know, our early years wiring or we're building circuits for how the world works, which is another way of saying when something happens in my environment, that thing gets stored next to so many other events that happen after it. And my body is going to remember that sequence of events. And if my that sequence happens over and over and over again, not once, but as a pattern, then fast forward a number of years, next time I feel the thing that sets off the circuit, and I'll give an example of what I mean, the, the whole circuit is just going to play out, right? So what does this mean when we become parents? We are confronted with our kids crying or their frustration. So really what's happening in our body is, oh, my body is like, well, what's my frustration circuit, which starts with my frustration, not my kids, my own. How was my frustration handled in my family of origin early on? After I had frustration, did I have parents who 
maybe held a boundary and validated my feelings? Or did my mom, let's say, go fly off the handle? And if my mom flew off the handle, then that flying off the handle reaction sits right next to frustration in my body circuit. Now my kid's frustrated. My body activates what it knows. Thank goodness our body activates what it knows. We can't learn things for the first time over and over. We wouldn't evolve as a species. We would survive. But now I'm reacting to my son who's 18 months or, or eight, not the way I want to, but the way my body has been kind of circuited to react. And so this, hmm. I think a lot of people are like, oh my goodness, does that mean I just, I'm bound to do the same thing? No, it really doesn't. There's, we actually know so much in the field about how we can actually change this. But it does mean that we all need to become really expert in, honestly, in like our own childhoods when we become parents, because they're going to be activated more than we could have ever imagined, right? And I think, and then I'll pause because mm-hmm. I have so much to say about this, but so many times I hear parents say, I don't remember my early years, which is, right? I don't remember it. And one of the things I think that happens when we're a parent is if we allow ourselves to expand on the idea of memory, we learn what happened to us when we were frustrated, not by a memory that says, well, this happened and this happened, by watching our body react. And I think it's really powerful to say, if I have no frustration tolerance with my kid's frustration, maybe I don't remember explicitly, but my body clearly remembers that that wasn't really dealt with well in my family either. Wow, I guess I am learning about my own childhood through my reactions to my own toddler. And that is, it's such an important thing to kind of respect that and have compassion for ourselves about that as the first step of changing, unlike the narrative that also is often is, I'm such a bad mom, good moms don't react that way. Yeah, it's interesting. As you say that, I had one of these moments where um, like in coronavirus, I hadn't had anybody over and then like it had lifted a little bit and I was allowing a couple of family members to come over within our circle and our bubble. And it was like half an hour before family started to come over. And I was like, I should really like clean those like baseboards and I should really like, and all of this started to come out of me that I was like, where is this coming from? I don't care about those baseboards, right? But it was a behavior that was like modeled in my family and in generations about how the house has to be or how things um, need to be arranged or presented when people come over. And like you said, I wouldn't yeah. have like thought back on that memory like any other time other than I was like, why is my body like, why am I just all of a sudden super hyper vigilant to the mess in my home right now? So I appreciate that we like our body will give us clues of the things that we need to pay attention to and work on, right? I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. And just even noticing that is a huge step. We underestimate the power of noticing, even though it's such a big percentage of mindfulness, just to say, I'm noticing an urge to wipe that baseboard over there. And the interesting thing about noticing is as long as you're noticing something, you're not in it, right? Because when you notice something, yes. now there's two There's two of me, there's the one who's noticing, and then there's the urge itself or the feeling itself. When we don't notice, those things get collapsed. And the kind of the feeling or the urge, I always think it kind of like comes to our control tower and takes over and makes our body clean the baseboards. But if you can say, Wow, I don't. Yeah, I don't even know what this is about, but I'm noticing, and I want to keep cleaning. Do I even care about this? Do I? Do my parents? I don't even know. But let me keep noticing that urge. What if I notice it for ten more seconds? Even we actually start to change that circuitry in our body just by pausing and kind of putting some space around it. And that's that's a great mm-hmm. thing. If anyone's listening and thinks, how do I start changing? 
just notice that. How do, what do I notice the urge to do around my house before my parents come over? Or what do I notice happens to me when I walk into a room and there's toys everywhere? My kids are having fun and the paint gets a little messy, but it definitely looks like they're having fun. They're not like trying to, you know, kind of quote, be bad. What would happen if the next time I say, I, I can still say, everyone clean it up. But what if I waited five seconds just to notice, ooh, this is uncomfortable for me and even wonder, I wonder if my parents let me play with like messy paint. I wonder if they did. I wonder if my body is telling me that, that they didn't. Hmm, so mm-hmm. interesting. And just even that is such a powerful way to start shifting these patterns. And I think what it does is keeping that mindfulness part of our brain online and noting to ourselves what is happening with our body as we're going gives us like it keeps that that logical, rational brain online to slow down the reaction and make conscious decisions based on our values. And this is something that I talk about on um, Instagram a lot because it's a lot of like, I I work with moms a lot and it's a lot of like, okay, I know what to do. Like I know what I need to do, but when I'm in the moment and you're so good at giving these scripts, I love this on Instagram. When I'm in the moment, all of it goes out the window, right? And, and it, and it can, like you're a mom of, of three kids who will constantly need things from you. And you've been in those dinner time rushes and those exhaustion oh. rushes, but in that, just noting to myself, I'll even note out loud. Sometimes and my kids know it's fair warning, you know, mommy's getting frustrated right now. Like mommy's really trying to take deep breaths and stay calm. But the fact that nobody is listening is getting mommy very frustrated. And even that process of noting to myself is keeping that part of our brain online, right? keeping that um, now I can decide what next to do with that. And I think just to link that even further, one of the things I think about a lot with kids and how it links to this idea of mindfulness is, you know, we're relational beings, right? That's what attachment is all about. We need to be in a relationship, right? We, we're not meant to survive alone. And when we have these big feelings, when we have kids have these feelings, it's why we don't say to them, go away and deal with it on their own. I don't know what they're doing when they're alone, but they're not regulating because they inherently need a relationship to do that. One of the interesting things about mindfulness and the process of noticing is how I always think about it is that as soon as we're noticing an urge, we're in a relationship with it, just like we are with our kid when they're having a hard time. And as long as we're in a relationship with our urge, there's the me noticing the urge to clean. There's the me noticing an urge to yell. And then there's the part of me that actually wants to yell. Then that part who wants to yell beyond keeping rationality online, it's not alone. Like we all like it's almost like inside our bodies. We're doing the same thing inside ourselves that we're trying to do with our kids. Like, and I, I say this a lot on my Instagram. I think the first thing we need to do when we want to change a behavior is just greet that feeling like high urge to scream. Acknowledge it. Hi, just saying it. Like, and I think there's something I do that when I can't fall asleep at night, I have this little spot in my like sternum. I put my thumb and I just go like high, massive amounts of anxiety. There you are again. <laughs> you think you're helping me by having all these worries that's in the future. You always forget that I'm like a competent person, right? And like, as soon as I say the high part, my body calms down because I feel like it's just like our kids. They want to be acknowledged. Our anxiety, our desire to yell, those things aren't bad. They're when they get out of control. But I feel like the urges and our feelings, they get like a bad rap. Like, I feel like they're like, it's not our fault. You can't pause after me. I'm not bad. It's just the dysregulation that ends up being bad. And when we greet it, we get into a relationship with it. And that is, that is, that really changes things inside of us. 
Yeah, that acceptance instead of that wrestling with it, right? That just like, oh, it's here and I don't have to judge it. And I was watching one of your videos where you were saying, just become curious about it. Curious is a non-judgmental stance. We're just going to explore, hmm, why? Why do I feel so wound up right now? Oh, I feel out of control in this moment. Or I feel like I have no authority because my kids are not listening and I've repeated myself or I feel whatever. And it's just that acceptance and yeah, name it to tame it, sort of like naming it and accepting what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the next level, and I know me and you have kind of talked about this whole reparenting thing, is our body really likes to be told, especially when we're feeling out of control and we're feeling like not so great. Our body really likes to be told a compassionate reason why it's feeling the way it does, right? Because we so often do the opposite, which is like, why am I feeling this way? I shouldn't be feeling this way. It's like invalidating and non-compassionate. So we can do the opposite, which Mm -hmm. is, well, it makes sense to be, right? It makes sense to be anxious. Like there's a lot of changes. And if I really know myself, I'm someone who's a major planner. So if I'm someone who likes to plan and act, then sitting with changes where you basically just have to sit and wait, that makes sense that my body would be having an extra hard time with that. And if I even double down, I might say, and if I think about kind of my early wiring, I probably like really got a lot of success in my life from all my planning and doing. So my body, my body probably like really likes to be in that circuit and now it can't. So it makes so much sense that I would be having so many worries in my mind. After that, we can kind of move to the boundary, which is okay. So how can I limit how much they take over, right? But if we don't give something inside of us compassion and kind of a historical understanding of itself, it's the same thing with like our partners in real life now, right? Like if they want to have Italian food and you're just like, no, I want Chinese food. Like they don't like that. If they say like, (laughs) well, that makes sense. I guess, you know, you really love Chinese food or Italian food and you give them validation first, they're a little more likely to shift, Mm -hmm, right? And our, mm -hmm. our our body really operates inside of us the same way we apply those same principles. So, so interesting. Okay. So what I'm really seeing here is like a parallel between reparenting in order to find regulation within ourselves, right? So can we unpack for people who are new to these terms, what they really mean? Yes. And you know, what's so interesting. I'll be totally transparent. Reparenting is not a word I often use, but Every time I post on this theme in Instagram, everyone's like, I love everything on reparenting, reparenting. I was like, oh, okay, I guess that's what like, I could call it. That's like the that. buzz, um, the buzzword. Yeah. Sure. It's like the buzzword. I'm like, so not in the buzzword world. I just, you know, so, but yes, really, you know, the way I think about it, and this is really how I work with adults in my clinical practice. I am very, very inspired by something called internal family systems theory, um, which really speaks to internal relationships that we have. And that sounds weird. And just for anyone listening, it doesn't mean multiple personality disorder. It really doesn't. But what happens in our childhoods, right, is we get, we learn, like we were saying about circuits, like we learn the rules for engagement. Kids learn like, when I feel mad, what's supposed to happen? Or is it safe to feel this way? Is it safe to be angry? Can my parents differentiate anger from hitting? Do they maybe say no to hitting, but kind of allow the anger? Or is the whole thing kind of punished? Like, how does all of this work? And let's say we'll take something where you, you know, you had a childhood where, yeah, I think a lot of people come to my practice and they just say, we never talked about feelings. Feelings are just like, it wasn't a thing. Like my parents feel awkward about it. Still, it was not a thing. And anger, forget it. If I ever said, oh, we're having pasta for dinner again, it was like I was grounded, right? There was no ability to say, oh, 
that was a rude tone of voice, but I guess you're allowed to not want pasta. Like doesn't have to be offensive to say that out loud. Right. So let's say that didn't happen. What happens inside your body is so interesting from an evolutionary perspective. Your body learns to protect itself by preempting those kind of shame or getting in trouble moments by doing the same thing in your body that it would expect so it could stop you in its tracks. So in other words, you literally develop a voice inside yourself that would say, let's say a dinner situation, the next time you go and you're like, oh, I don't like chicken. You develop a part literally to talk to that part that says, you ungrateful little girl. You ungrateful little girl, because it sounds mean, but in your early years, it's so protective because if you can say that to yourself and then you can show up to the dinner table to your actual parents and say, oh, I love chicken. Thanks, mom. And they're like, oh, you are so grateful. You are such a great daughter. I mean, I have the chills thinking about that, but like what? That's so crafty. It's so adaptive, right? So because that's what we need. Kids need to learn how to adapt to their family of origin. So great. Now let's fast forward a decade, right? Two decades, three decades. And now you have your own kid and you're at the dinner table and your kid goes, broccoli, I hate broccoli. That part of you that you developed to protect yourself, to kind of yell at and blame yourself so you didn't go through further pain, now kind of leaps out of your body, unfortunately, and says to your son, you ungrateful little boy, something like that, right? Like I mm. made dinner all day, right? Wh whatever we say that we all end up being like, I, I didn't handle that that great. <laughs> what was that? You know, I say that stuff too, right? So if we think about this from a reparenting perspective, we cannot change our external relationships until we're working on our internal ones. We just don't have the mold for it. Our body reacts. And this is why I do post a lot of scripts and things like that. And I love that stuff. I think it's valuable. Logic always comes second to regulation. Our body wins every single time. We are animals, right? And our logic is offline when we're dysregulated. No yeah. person in a regulated state says to their five-year-old son, you ungrateful little boy. No, no, no parent wants to say that. None. We say right. that because we're dysregulated. So none of the scripts, if you're thinking, yeah, none of those scripts help me or I've read the same book a million times. I always forget it. You're not forgetting it. Your body doesn't have access to it because it didn't have access when you were five. Think mm -hmm. about if you were five, you don't want to have the thought, I'm allowed to not like broccoli. No, that would have gotten you in trouble. So right. here's, here's the work. The work is how do I repair really inside my body? And I really mean this language for like, there is a little girl in me who still is afraid to say, I don't, I don't want broccoli. And, and I really, and the work to do this sounds almost odd, but it's so powerful because inside our body, it doesn't know that it's 2020. It's just doing what it knows how to do. And so if I use that example, a way to start reparenting is literally just to take it. You have to be in a quiet moment and just imagine. It's really important to imagine yourself as a, as a child and to imagine those moments. And I love the idea of coming up with an imagined caregiver. It could really be you now because so many of us want to be a parent that we never had. It could be your therapist. It could be someone, you know, it could be a unicorn. And to literally walk through, like being at the dinner table and imagining some kind of fairy godmother imagined caregiver, I don't know what she would whisper, but saying something probably like, you know what you like and don't like. You're allowed to not like what's offered. You're allowed to not like broccoli. And to really, we have to start doing that inside ourselves before we really have the regulation capacity, the circuit kind of capacity to speak differently to our kids.
So really starting with the self-talk, the self-compassion, and that inner critic, because it's it's interesting how you talk about thinking back on or like really visualizing yourself as a child. And when I first came to, um, we'll just like label it reparenting for, you know, definition's mm-hmm. sake. But when I first kind of came into it's this, yep. into this work and came, came across this idea of like, thinking about myself and like, what would six-year-old self, like six-year-old version of me self need in that moment? Or uh, how would I talk to myself if I was six or 16 or whatever? And I like the contrast from how I spoke to myself internally as an adult versus how I would speak to a six-year-old. I'm like, I would never speak to a child the way that sometimes we are so critical to ourselves, right? And that's really started a lot of the work and and thought like, hmm, you know, give some of that space and that curiosity and that, that little bit of space between me and that thing, right? Yes, I think that that's exactly right. And I think another thing just for people listening, that is such a powerful tool. And this was one of my most popular posts. I I think about this a lot. And I was like, do I put this on Instagram? Because it's kind of like a heavy, because the stuff I put on Instagram, like my my husband said this, he's like, you know, sometimes he's like, I like to go on Instagram and just like mindlessly be like, 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 he's like, you are not getting those people in your followers. Like you have to like consume. It's like deep stuff you're putting on there. And I was like, it is, you know, but I, you got to do you, you know, everyone like that's that's me me too. That's me too. Exactly. But here's a really powerful idea. I'm actually laughing because you reposted this and made a beautiful graphic for me. Right. So, but this is really (laughs) the idea of reparenting, right? If everyone thinks right now, the part of my child that provokes me the most, that annoys me the most, that quote gets under my skin the most, shows me the part of myself that was most shut down in my own childhood. And related to that, to really shift that pattern, another way of reparenting ourselves is saying, I wonder what would happen if I became inspired by this part of my kid, my kid who always complains about everything that we serve for dinner, my kid who doesn't take no for an answer, my kid who has the biggest meltdowns at any group gathering without a care in the world about what people think. Oh, I wonder if that part of my child is showing me that I need to be a little more open with my emotions, that I need to say a little more often, you know what, I think you, you know, use almond milk. Can I ask a regular milk? Can you please remake me that, that coffee, whatever, right? Because another way to reparent ourselves and shift our interaction with our kid is what we react to in our kid. There's usually a big gap between that part of themselves and how really how small usually that part is in ourselves. And if we grow that part of ourselves, the gap narrows and we don't react as much to people when that narrows because we have a little more of the quality in ourselves. So let's say your kid is like, I have a kid like this that does not take no for an answer. So easy to say, what's wrong with my kid? But it's really powerful to say, I wonder if he's teaching me something. What would it be like if this next week, I made it a point once a day, once a week, whatever I could to not take no for an answer one more time than I usually would. Right. When I call whatever the company is to get a refund and they tell me the first time, yeah, sorry, it's past the day. We can't do anything. What if I said, I'd like to talk to your manager. That's really unacceptable for me. I've Mm. never asked this before. I've been a loyal customer and this, this didn't work. It was day 31. I know you say 30 days, but that seems really not in the spirit. I'd like to talk to someone else. Like, whoa, like a lot of, I talk about that in my practice a lot. Right. And in a way, let's say your son's name is Alex. Like, where's your inner Alex? Like, what would Alex say on the phone? And they're usually like, oh, Alex would be like, I don't think so. And you're like, good. Because the more you find your inner Alex, the less that part of Alex is really, it's not going to bug you as much. We don't get bugged by people where we kind of are in the 
same kind of amount of that quality. We really get annoyed with people where they have a quality in so far in excess of mm. the way we tend to own that quality in us. And when I think about the things that get under my skin about my kids the most, and my husband says, yeah, me too. It's different things for each of us. It's just perfect. We're like, yep, that's what I struggle with. And he's like, yep, that's what I struggle with. Right. So I think that's a great experiment for anyone listening. What if for a week I said, I'm going to grow that quality in me and whatever my son does when he's like that, I'll just kind of deal with that later. I wonder what the next week would look like. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think for everyone, there'd be a difference in our regulation. Hmm. It's interesting. And I'm chuckling because it makes me think of my middle son. We call him Hulk because when he gets angry, he just like he goes kind of ballistic and um, and he's very bold in a China shop. He's very sensory, like he's going to be our football player, like he's right in there, you know, yes. but also so like caring and sensitive. And he's he's so fun and definitely more challenging in us uh, to parent. But so compassionate and kind. Um, it, it brings up another video of yours. Like I've been just consuming all your content. Yes. Oh, so uh, it you. brings up another video um, that I had watched of yours. And this has made a big difference just in my own kind of dividing and, and, and looking at it is the difference between like the behavior and the feeling because it gets so lumped often, yeah. right? So like with my middle child yeah. who has a big reaction this morning, let's say, we'll take this, we'll take our morning as an example. Um, <laughs> so his favorite color is green and his older brother, when I was tending to the baby, took his green bowl of oatmeal and gave him the yellow one instead. And green is his color in the house, like that's his color. So understandably, very, very upset proceeded when I was tending to baby and changing his bum to dump the oatmeal onto the table. I came down, there's oatmeal everywhere. Everybody's fighting. And I know the feeling as soon as I see it. Unfairness, sad, frustrated. Big brother just took his favorite color. Like that's his color in the house, right? Um, and, and being able to label and identify with him that he is allowed to have all the the feelings about that, right? He's allowed to feel frustrated. He's allowed to feel angry. I would be so frustrated and angry too. However, we don't dump oatmeal on the table, right? So can you share a little bit yeah. about that? That's so powerful. Yes. To me, that's core. Like in my course that I have about like building emotion regulation and managing meltdowns, which I kind of feel like is like a foundational course to everything I talk about. That's one of the first things I talk about in terms of a framework, right? We need to have a framework to understand before we jump into strategies. And it's really important to understand there's behaviors and there's feelings. We have to limit certain behaviors, certain behaviors. I would never call them bad, but they're dangerous or they're, they get people in trouble. Those are behaviors. All feelings are allowed. We don't have to limit any feelings. And in fact, to take it a step further, under every difficult behavior is an unregulated feeling, right? So I, I'm a visual person. So like, here's a feeling. And here's the behavior. And regulation looks like having a feeling. It comes like, oh, here's the feeling. Here's the frustration. And then like we have something that inserts time and space around it. So instead of the behavior happening, now we have enough time and space where like most people I know, even a kid is like, do I want to take this bowl of oatmeal? Dump it. I'm noticing an urge to dump. No, nobody <laughs> dumps it after that time and space, right? And kind of difficult behavior happens because there's no space between a behavior and a feeling that space gets collapsed. Yes. Right. So one of the things you have to think about as a parent is that then my job is to help my kid build that space. There needs to be a, the longer we have after having a feeling, 
the less likely we are to engage in a behavior. And so often kind of things that we do like send my kid away or timeouts, it, what ends up happening to kids is when we punish harshly the behavior, we kind of collude in pushing the feeling and the behavior together. If we don't explicitly differentiate, then a kid learns. I've never met a kid who said, in my house, spilling oatmeal wasn't allowed, but all, and then I'd be sent to my room, but boy, did I know that it was okay to feel angry. It just doesn't happen. You just think both are bad. You just right. think both are bad. And so you can never regulate the anger because regulation starts with feeling like you can allow a feeling. You can't regulate a feeling in your body you don't think you're allowed to have. So that that's just not possible. And so I think so many parents, when they see like, oh, my kid spilled this oatmeal, it's very, it feels very gratifying as a parent to be like, go to your room. And then because after you're like, I really, really did something as a parent. I like really, I handled that situation, right? It gives you something to hold on to. It's less gratifying to do things that are more helpful to the kids. I think that's just mm. important to also understand which is, I, I even think there's almost a formula, like explicitly limit the behavior, take the bowl away, or if it's already happened, just say, I won't let you spill your oatmeal. Even if it's already happened, that language is helpful. It helps kids feel like they have a leader when we say, I won't let you. And then even just to, again, to differentiate in my words, even saying you're allowed to be frustrated. There are mm -hmm. so many ways to be frustrated that don't end with spilling oatmeal all over the floor, right? Even though in that example, I would argue like, you know, there are worse behaviors, right? But we need to explicitly give permission for the feeling under yes. the behavior because that's the thing that over time actually reduces the likelihood of the feeling converting into the mm -hmm. behavior in the mm -hmm. first place. And so I think, yes, that's so critical for parents to understand. And I think another way around that kind of that gap is the more we notice and talk about kids' feelings proactively instead of just when something bad happens, we get them used to surrounding feelings with understanding and connection. Right? When did you feel frustrated today? When might you feel frustrated today? I'm thinking about when I'm feeding the baby. Ooh, I don't know. That might, that might be a tough breakfast when I'm in the other room because not only am I not there but I'm with the, your baby that oh, it kind of feels a little annoying sometimes oh might it feel that way and so many mm -hmm. parents are like oh am I putting that idea in my kid's head no that's just not a thing let me just say mm -hmm. putting an idea in the kid's head it's just not a thing in that way that you're not putting a feeling that's going to be there anyway what you're doing is you're pre-infusing connection and noticing so when the feeling comes up, it's already been surrounded by the things that stop a feeling from being converted into a behavior. Because a kid can say, my mom told me I might feel this way. I must be okay to feel this way if she warned me about it. We already mm -hmm. talked about it. We might even, we even game plan what we might do about it. And that helps build that gap between feelings and behaviors. So, so good. And I notice when I do that, particularly for like my middle child, he's three and a half right now. He's like in the prime territory for learning all these skills. Right. And when I like name the feeling and I say, we, you can be frustrated. I, mommy, mommy would be frustrated. Like I get your feeling, you know, he kind of just like collapses into me and he just like the whole defense mm -hmm. comes down. Yeah. And then, so we problem solved it through this morning. We scooped the oatmeal back up into his bowl and he decided that he was going to wait for the green bowl till his brother was done because he so badly wanted it. And he dumped his, yeah. his oatmeal from his yellow bowl into his green bowl and then went on about his day. Right. So and and maintaining that connection piece throughout it to help him regulate is something that wasn't modeled for me is not really a part of like 
sort of authoritative behavioral type of parenting often to really like lean into that connection. So that's something that is so powerful and you know, important to see. And I, and I love being able to, because when we talk about time, timeouts and, and we can go there again, your video on this was really, really interesting. Sometimes we feel, or it had been taught to me from a behavioral background that you don't Mm want to reinforce the behavior, right? You want to extinguish it. You want to ignore it. So to me, as somebody with a lot of behavioral background, leaning into my connection in, in a moment, um, almost felt like a reinforcement, like, you know, earlier on until I, I kind of got it. And when you had said in your, um, your timeout video, like if you were having a hard feeling and your partner was like, I'm not going to talk to you until you've calmed down. I would be like, what in the actual f <laughs> you know like what that's not that doesn't yeah. feel good right like seriously and and it just all the light bulbs there because we co-regulate in our relationships with each other when we feel safe and seen and heard and acknowledged right i mean absolutely and i was trained in a pretty behavior i mean not most of my training was actually pretty psychodynamic from my phd program which is kind of relational and kind of um, a lot of attachment and stuff like that. So very, very not behavioral, although there was a little bit of that too. But then I did some kind of behavioral programs around parenting and I'm a logical person. So you hear this and you're like extinguishing, ignoring, reinforcement, this, and our brains, because our brains are the seat of logic, are like, yes, that makes sense. That makes sense. Right. And it all makes sense until you take a deep breath and you're just like, how would I like that? Like, how would I like totally get out of your brain and into your feelings? And again, I'm a big believer that our brain is always second. We feel before we think. And I think that that model, it honestly does treat kids like they're closer to animals than adults, than adult Mm. humans, right? It's almost like animal shaping instead Mm. of how would I feel, right? And there are all these things that I hear from people who have been taught that way or even see like really fancy psychologists were all about kind of ignoring and, and sticker charting and, you know, kind of timeouts. It's just, and, and forget any of that here and there, but it's just a whole behavioral system. You know, one of the things that I think that whole behavioral system does is it kind of destroys your relationship with someone along mm-hmm. the way. And then every kid gets to the age. And for listeners who are like, oh, I do a sticker chart here and there. I'm really not talking again. Like I'm not someone who's rigid. I'm talking about like there's just everything is kind of behavioral system of trying to extinguish bad behavior and promote good behavior. All kids get to an age where they're about they're about 15 or sometimes a little younger, where essentially a light bulb comes up in them. And they're like, I don't care about your sticker charts. I care about your timeouts. What are you going to do? Right. And yeah. if you have kind of missed 15 years of relationship building with your kid to that point, which relationship building, just like we know in a marriage, it comes from understanding differences and looking at bad behavior from a curiosity. Why did my husband come home in such a bad mood? I mean, I really do want him to apologize for that tone, but also he probably had a bad day and I probably can't just punish him for that tone if I want to like make this marriage work. I have to like be like, hey, let me give you that generous interpretation and think like you probably had a bad day to speak to me that way. I really didn't like it, but you probably had a bad day and that's actually really important for me to hear about. Mm-hmm, and when we respond mm-hmm. in those more generous ways, I think, again, there's this thing in the behavioral community that they're like, you're reinforcing the behavior. And I would think to myself, if I said something nasty to my husband, probably because, again, I was in a bad mood about something else, and he came into my room and just sat there and said, look, 
like I, we maybe both need to calm down, but like, let's, let's talk. You're upset. That matters to me. The idea that that would reinforce me, that that would make me more likely to be mean to him because he showed me his presence. Like to me, that just is the nastiest view of human behavior. Like, and it just Mm -hmm. doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, I would be, I would be so much more likely to be kind to him the next day because I would feel like he saw my goodness. Like he kind of liked me. Right. And I think we need to reframe that with our kids. Yeah. And I think that it comes with a, like, there, there must be a consequence, right? A lo- that comes along with that line of thinking. And uh, there are natural consequences that will arise yeah. for some of these things. And I think that sometimes how they're feeling is often consequence enough. I don't know. What's your, what's your take on the consequences? So, yeah, I mean, that word, to be honest, like, I always, I'm never sure what to do with that word. You like, do you get, yeah. I mean, you know, I am, I am a very firm parent and I like, I'm like, you know, no nonsense in a lot of ways. Right. So like, if my son is taking a block and throwing it, I might, you know, pull him to the side and we take a deep breath and we game plan around it. And if I notice him getting kind of dangerous with it again, I mean, is that a consequence? I will, I don't maybe, but I will say to him, okay, you're showing me you can't play with these blocks right now. And no matter what he's crying, I'm just saying you're allowed to be upset. I know you still, you're trying to figure it out, but my number one job is to keep you safe. And right now safety means not playing with the clock. So I'm putting them away. So I don't, I never call that a consequence. I'm not, I'm not opposed to other people calling it to me. It's just, I guess it's part of boundaries. It's just like keeping my kids safe. Now that's different than if you throw your blocks away, um, throw your blocks again, I'm going to like not let you watch a TV show later. I guess that is another form of consequence. I, no, I hear a lot in the parenting kind of world. No, I don't believe that way. Both because number one, people say it, it doesn't work because they're unrelated. They're at different times. I mean, kind of, but I feel like we're just trying to like really apply logic to something that has nothing to do with logic. It just doesn't work because it was a failure of regulation. It's not a failure of logic that caused a kid to say, you know what? I don't mm-hmm. care about my TV show. So I'm going to throw my block. And then a parent's like, wait, you do care. And you're like, oh no, I'm not going to do it next time. That's not what's happening. A kid is dysregulated. And so boundaries and keeping a kid safe shows a kid that that they have a leader around them. And then that helps them build regulation. Taking Mm -hmm. away the TV show later on just is going to make a kid more angry, just like it would make me angry if my husband, if I was rude to him, took away my iPad. (laughs) That just doesn't make sense. Right? (laughs) Um, Yes. yes, I Even consequence, I'll use that word, if it's like a version of a boundary keeping kids I don't yes. believe in consequences. Now, look, when kids get older, do I think when they get older and like there's just tricky stuff? You have Fortnite, you have all this screen time. You do I believe in like a system that makes sense that you come up with your kid for when kids get certain things and kind of agreement? I, I see that, but only really if it's collaborative and then right. kind of consequences, I guess, are kind of agreed upon collaboratively as well. Right. Right. Um, So I I guess I see that, but I think this classic consequences, I'm going to take something away. I think all it does is honestly build kids kind of revenge fantasies. Like all they're thinking about is how they can get back at their parents. Right. It seems so so unfair. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that what you're talking about, like that natural consequence in that moment, well, you know, I love you and I can't let you hit your brother with a block is like a natural consequence of like, well, then the block gets removed because we're not making good choices. Right. Versus like a a punishment type of consequence that has no real 
actual uh, play in the situation. And I find that it's like really as parents, when we're at our last straw is the type of thing we want to go through. Yeah. Well, then we're not going to the water park tomorrow. Like, you know, to like, it's like our last ditch effort to try to like get that compliance in that moment often. So yeah, so I, I would, I would agree with it's, it's all in like in the moment with like boundaries, keeping child safe, kind of natural consequences versus more of those like punishments that again, yeah, aren't really going to teach those regulation skills in that moment. Right. And I think this is a good connection even with the reparenting idea. Cause if you notice that you're a parent, he's like, Oh my God, I just have these consequences and punishments just like stream out of my you know, mouth. I don't even mean them. That's why so many parents say this to me. They're like, I just told my kid this, but I don't even, I didn't think about that. It wasn't kind of, it was from a dysregulated place myself. Two things I'll say. Number one, it's really powerful to take away a punishment. To be like, to go back to your kid and be like, you know what? I was frustrated in the moment. And I said to you, I think something that my parents would have said to me, right? And just to hear in your head being like, I don't have to be so proud of this. Be like, well, now that I said this, I have to stick with it. That, that doesn't help any relationship. And in fact, you can take this moment that feels so disconnected and build connection, just like we would hope in a marriage, right? That would feel good. Like, oh, sweetie, I didn't, I didn't mean to say that thing to you. That was like my own stuff, not you. And I don't mm. really mean whatever I said, like that feels so good. My husband says that to me. I'm like, wow, now I feel closer to you right? right? because you did that. And I think related to the reparenting, if you're someone who hears punishments come out a lot, just kind of know and kind of reflect on, or even assume like, I wonder if I was in a house where that happened to me. And to just know if there's ways you kind of punish yourself continually, right? By not giving yourself the things you need. Or if you feel like you've been a bad mom one day, that's probably the day you need the bubble bath and the call with the friends, not the day when you kind of need to kind of keep laboring away and staying up late, signing everyone up for classes, right? Like, so mm -hmm, I think that's mm -hmm. an important thing to note too. Like when I am struggling, do I see my struggle as a sign of my need for more internal connection and compassion? Or do I tend to see my struggle as a reason to kind of keep blaming and keeping myself in a circuit and a cycle that ends up making myself feel even worse? And again, I would encourage parents to kind of reflect on that in and think about what if I worked for a week on giving myself something kind and connected when I'm struggling? I wonder if I'd be less likely to punish my kids and have that flow out of my mouth. I love this. I feel like this is really just the beginning of a conversation, you and I. Like, I'm going to have to have you back because as the feedback comes in from this episode and when it goes live, I'm sure there will be a flurry of questions and things that people want to learn more about. So I hope that this is the first of many of our get-togethers and, you know, chats. So for those who are listening, where can they find you and what are you up to these days? I know you have your course. I know that you have your platform on Instagram. So my um, Instagram handle is Dr. Becky at home. It's D-R-B-E-C-K-Y-A-T-H-O-M-E. I came up with that before quarantine because my parenting clients always joke that they feel like they have me in their home with them. But now I'm like literally Dr. Becky at home. So, so relevant. Yeah, exactly. Very ironic. <laughs> um, but um, so I post a ton of content there. I have so many IGTVs and I continue to do those. I love doing that. I just started a new workshop series. I'm doing my second one tomorrow on maybe my favorite topic ever, which is kind of deeply feeling kids, kids who are reactive and sensitive and know that's not a bad word and just kind of feel things deeply and really kind of a lot of trouble regulating and where the typical kind of validation strategies tend to actually make things worse. And my mm -hmm. workshops where people miss out on buying a ticket, I'm selling tickets to kind of watch the recording after because they're about an cool. hour long. They're really dense. So if that applies, they'll, um, they'll be recordings. And then I have two, three 
really awesome video courses that you can do it as you go, watch forever, share with kind of friends and family who are around. One is on managing kind of meltdowns and building emotion regulation. That's really kind of like core to everything I talk about. One is on preparing for a new sibling, which is mm. awesome. It's really to help your older child or your older children while you're pregnant, when you have the baby, how to tell, what to prepare them for emotionally, how to actually do that. I'm big on the strategies and I act everything out, how to troubleshoot common problems, how to get ahead of those problems. And then I have another one on parenting teens and tweens, which is really good. Even if you have like, I would say a six-year-old and up who's angsty. I feel like six, seven, eight-year-old angsty kids are kind of tweens already. Um, <laughs> those kind of apply so many of my frameworks to kind of older kids. Um, and those are all, you can access them through my blog, drbeckyathome.com. Yeah, that's great. And I'll make sure to link all of those things and any other links that you want in the show notes as well. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. This was great. I love talking with you and hope to connect with a lot of your listeners and followers um, in the future. This is great. Thank you. Mamas, wasn't that so amazing? I'm really appreciative to Dr. Becky for coming on, sharing those insights with us. I would encourage you to head to her Instagram page. It is Dr. Becky at home and tune into all of the resources she has for you there. So many Instagram um, TVs like IGTVs and lots of quotes, really practical scripts and, and guidance for how to work with your child in those tense or behavioral moments in those meltdown moments. So go check her out. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I look forward to meeting you back here next episode. Have a great week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description. Or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job.